from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Well, we might get good headline risk with the um, you know the Build Back Better bill being negotiated in Washington, right? It looks like those tax increases to fund that might not be quite as uh, onerous as, as we had thought. And the other thing to watch this week is the inflation numbers. We got an inline PPI number, that, but you know it's eight percent. But there's there's signs of of a peak. If you just look at what's happened over the last few months, this might be as bad as it gets. And then um, you know we get the core inflation number. Uh, tomorrow and we'll see uh you know that'll be better because it has been running much lower than the producer inflation um, but hopefully we get something a little bit lower than expectations jeff we're back in the latest edition of the lpl market signals podcast we know what the crowd wants people want to see your dogs and your dog's friends dressed up for halloween but like any good i guess presenter or showman we're not going to show that quite yet. We're going to make everybody uh, stick around for a while. I guess if you're watching on YouTube or even a, listening on a podcast, you can obviously change the speed and make us talk a little faster to get where you want to go first off. But guys, we're going to get there soon enough. Um, you know, Jeff, first things first, remember that book about 20 years ago, approximately Dow 36,000? Well, we hit it last week, just two years late. What, what's your take on that book? Remember that one? Yeah, wow. At the time, I remember thinking that was a pretty gutsy call. But, you know, if you do the math and you just compound over time, you know, it wasn't so ridiculous that, you know, we'd get there in a couple of decades and we sure did. We did. And, yeah, you know, that's why, I mean, again, this is not a call, right? But like Dow, 100,000 sounds crazy. But hey, we're all listening to this and we're around for another 20 or 30 years. You compound that at seven, eight percent a year. It, it's really not quite as crazy as it sounds. Was interesting though. Obviously, this book came out in 1999. As most of us remember, the stock market peaked out soon after. I guess it was. See, Nasdaq peaked out in March of 2000. I believe the S and P peaked out like in August of 2000, but still near a major, major milestone peak. When I looked into it a little bit more, they were saying at the time the Dow was like you know over 10,000 approximately. I honestly don't know the exact number, but. Um, 36,000 was pretty far away. They were saying it should have been valued there right now. Like they weren't saying we'll get there in two decades. They gave some arguments that you talk about euphoria and things like that. That was a time. Well, I mean, Jeff, you know, I didn't even know we'd go this route. What's your craziest memory of like 99, 2000, you know, from an investing point of view, at least. Wow. Well, I was just getting started in business and mm -hmm. I remember sitting right next to the cage and, um, you know, I could, write my own tickets, do my own trades. So we would try to guess which dot-com stock would be featured on CNBC at, at lunch. Yep. You know, buy the stock at 11 and then see if we were right. If we were right, we got a pop, we'd sell it at one. <laughs> so that was, uh, you know, it, it, it was, if, if you got it right, it was a profitable trade back then because stocks were just moving on any publicity, anything that had dot-com in the name, uh, that, that was certainly a, uh, a very crazy time. It was. You think about it, all those message boards, 20-minute delayed quotes. People were trading on 20-minute delayed quotes. How crazy does that sound? I was, I guess, at Xavier University in Cincinnati, got the bug. Um, my dad gave me some play money, opened up, I think it was E-Trade, E-Trade account, and quickly like doubled it because I was doing the same thing, just watching on CNBC. They talked about Sycamore Networks or Juniper Networks or Lucent. I just buy it, then it'd go up a couple hundred bucks and then sell it. It was easy, right? And then of course I was on margin, had no idea what I was doing, just saw money going up every day. 
Then everything crashed and burned, you know, 90, 95%. A lot of those companies don't even exist anymore. And I was on, on margin, so I lost it all. But I was hooked. I realized, oh, my goodness, I could have made money on the way down. I had no idea. But I, I, I then it's what I wanted, knew it's what I wanted to do and where we are uh, <laughs> where we are today. So, Jeff, let's just get into it. Um, you know, really unique situation. We had 36000 on the Dow. We're going to talk more about kind of some of the really just crazy things. I mean, I'm using the word crazy that are happening. This market continues to go up. It seems like every single day we're making new highs. We're going to talk about just kind of how how unique that situation is. Also going to take a look at last week's Fed meeting. Remember, we gave a preview of the Fed meeting. Fed didn't really rock the boat too much. I'll just kind of give you that. But we're going to talk about the Fed and then some of the recent economic data that we've been seeing. And then one of the most popular questions that we've been receiving lately, what about Europe? France just broke out to an all-time high earlier this week. Literally went nowhere for like 20 years. A lot of other areas in, in, in developed international and Europe specifically starting to look a little bit better. So we're going to talk about how we see those important areas um, from, from, a, from a portfolio point of view here in a little bit. So Jeff, again, a month ago on this podcast, we mentioned the rich dad, poor dad guy and how he gave this very, very dour um, call about a market crash coming. You can go back and look it up. We talked about it at the time. He's given that call for a long time now. I guess a broken clock will be right, what, twice a day or so. Um, you know, but I jokingly called it poorer dad, poor dad on our podcast channel here because of some of the melt up that we're seeing. I mean, Jeff, I've got a bunch of stats, but just, you know, kind of what's your take? I mean, we're seemingly making new highs every day, just an incredible ripper of a rally the last three weeks more specifically. What do you think really caused this incredible move higher in equities the last three weeks? Well, I don't think you can pin it down to one thing. I mean, you know, a lot of people might just say, you know, we got a good jobs number. We have uh, strong earnings, right? And th those are part of it. But I, th I think probably the um, maybe more understated piece of this is is low yields. Look at the 10-year Treasury yield. We just went right back down to 1.4. Come off of that a little bit. But right back down to 1.4 after making a run at 1.7. Uh, lower interest rates support higher valuations on, on stocks. So, you know, I think, um, you know, that's a piece of it too. So sure, we can point to all the stuff that's in the news every day, the Fed and, you know, jobs report and earnings and all of that. And that's part of it. But I think interest rates is kind of an under underreported piece of this latest rally. A great point. There is a, we're going to dive a little bit more into what I'm going to say, the surprising move lower in yields uh, that we've seen recently. But here's just some context around things. I've got some numbers here. Now, at the time we're recording this on Tuesday morning, S&P's up eight days in a row, longest win streak since April of 19. New all-time high, eight days in a row, longest since 1997. The S&P is higher 17 of the last 19 days, pretty much about the time Rich Dad, Poor Dad was saying, here comes a crash. Higher 17 out of 19 days. That's a best in a 19-day uh, period since 1971. Should the S&P close higher today on Tuesday, that'll be 18 out of 20 days the S&P was green. That's happened only once in the history of the stock market way back in 1954. S&P's up five weeks in a row, four weeks in a row of at least a 1% gain. Um, All-time highs, let's see here. There's a wild one. So the S&P has made an all-time high the first six days of this month, right? November, six days in, new high every single day. Um, only once in history has a month started with seven consecutive new all-time highs. And according to 
what I'm reading, yeah, I can't read my own writing here, but it's 1964, one of those years that were just truly record-breaking, 64, 95, 2013, 2017. Those are all some of the best win streaks and best bull markets we've seen in a while. This year, sure enough, is playing out like that. And then lastly, Jeff, we're up 25% for the year in the S&P 500 as of last night. Um, you know, who knows if we're going to close up or down Um you know, 25% for the year. But when you're up 25% for the year in November, the month of December, which is usually pretty good, actually even gets better. In 95, we're up at least 25%. We're up almost 1.7% uh, in December. 97, we hit it again, up 1.6%. 2013, 2019, 2.4%, 2.9%. Bunch of numbers I just threw at you. The truth is when you're up a lot coming into the usually strong month of December, <laughs> You see some continued strength. Jeff, I just talked for a long time. I don't even know what I just talked about. I just listed some amazing stats. Anything you want to build on what I just said or any anything else before we move forward? Uh, this market has a lot of momentum. Um, but, you know, certainly if, you know, people just look at the chart of the S&P 500, they might think, wow, we've you know, come a long way. This is this can't be supported, right? We've, yep. we've got to come back down. But, but, you know, again, look what earnings have done. Earnings have grown, you know, third quarter earnings season, we're probably going to be up 40%. Uh, expectations were in the high 20s coming in. That strong earnings growth, much better than expected earnings growth, supports these stocks. So we said it in the last couple of weeks, stocks have not gotten more expensive, even if, they, even if they've gone up. They've gone up, uh, you know, 20-something percent this year, but earnings have gone up 20% plus this yeah. year in terms of expectations for 2021 earnings, not growth. Expectations have risen 20% uh, plus this year. So that's a really strong foundation uh, for stocks to continue to move higher here. Yeah, coming into the year, the average, um, I guess, economist or strategist was looking for about um, S&P 500 earnings of 165. It's likely going to come in well over 200 when all is said and done again. Most people probably wouldn't realize after a 25% rally, stocks are cheaper now than they were at the start of the year. How is that possible? Because earnings expectations have um, have gone higher. So, Jeff, at this time, I do, the next slide indeed is... The reason a lot of people are here, probably everyone is here for this reason. It is the dog party that you just threw over, I believe, the weekend with some of your dogs and uh, your dog's friends. Again, this one, you almost need to see it, guys, to believe it on the YouTube channel. I did add Go Dog Go. Remember that book about the dog party? It's a dog party. Big dogs, little dogs, red dogs, blah, 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 yellow dogs, green dogs. I threw that in as well with some pictures of your dogs and their friends. Tell us about the party, Jeff. And first off, no one pooped on the floor, did they? I mean, that's that's a sign of a good party usually. No, it was all outside. Uh, I'll just leave it at that um, in response to your question. Uh, <laughs> it was so crazy. The dogs just running around everywhere. It was really hard to get pictures. So uh, a couple of these are indoor pre-party pictures, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, we've got... Uh, you know, Phoebe and her Wonder Woman, uh, she's a Cavapoo. We got Daisy, she's a, like a Maltese, I think she's a Maltese Shih Tzu mix. And then you've got Leo the Golden in a lion costume. You've got another Leo and he's a Labradoodle with his Star Wars costume. And then my Bella here, you saw her last week in yep. her, in her. Um, I, I guess it's a like a salsa dancer, even though those arms look like horns. Um, that's We'll call her a salsa dancer. And then little Bailey there in a, in a pumpkin. Uh, she's some sort of doodle. I think a small golden doodle. So we had a lot of, a lot of doodles represented. There were, I think, 10 dogs. And, man, it was wild watching them run around. A lot of fun. 
Wow. That's, um, I think a first for this podcast to really dive into a dog party. You know, we're, we're going anywhere we want to go anymore. I mean, again, guys, by the way, we've hit like 500,000 downloads in the, just over three years. We've done this podcast, hundreds of positive reviews and listens and everything. So I think maybe we've earned the right to go to the dogs once in a while in, in our podcast. But thanks again to all the listeners. Um, give us a like, give us a follow. It does go a long way. So, Jeff, you know, one interesting thing, you're talking about what the dogs are, what they you think they are. So there is a company actually that you can, um, we went to PetSmart. It was my daughter's birthday the other day. Susanna just turned 14. And one of the things she always wanted to know is what is Thurman? Thurman's our 14 year old, kind of looks like a spaniel. We were told he was a, um, a, a different type of dog when we first got him. He's kind of a mutt, honestly. She was. She always wanted to know what he is. So there's a company that you take the swab and you, he loved this by the way, swab his mouth for like a minute. You put it in the thing, mail it to Boston, your neck of the woods. I know there's a lot of good biotechs up there and they send it back to you within two weeks, the exact breakdown of what your dog's breed and what percent he is, right? I'm assuming he's like 75% Spaniel, but what's the rest of it? Well, for a hundred (laughs) dollars, we now get to know exactly what breed Thurman will be. And I'll let you guys know, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll get the results. Well, I'll put a picture of Thurman up. Um, You ever heard of this, by the way, Jeff, this it's amazing the way people spend money. Maybe this is some type of bear market signal that I just wasted a hundred dollars to know what breed this dog is. But anyway, ever heard of that one? I've heard of something like that. Uh, yes. But um, I mean, we, we didn't get a rescue. We went through a breeder because we didn't know what we were doing. Yep. Uh, so we know what, what Bella is, but I can see why you'd want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Just kind of a fun thing. She was, she got a lot of different presents and different things. And uh, you know, again, not a recommendation of the stock, but 14 year old girl does like Lululemon, everything. I bet she got a bunch of Lululemon, and that stuff isn't cheap, by the way. So, anyway, it is what it is. That's why that stock is up so much. Not a recommendation, but again, popular, popular stuff. So, Jeff, let's move forward here. Um, we are going to do a little review of the Fed. And I, I got a goofy little image here of a, of a gymnast sticking the landing with an image of Jerome Powell's head. I'm saying the Fed stuck the landing. I mean, my goodness gracious, it feels like 10 years ago the Fed did their interest rate decision. And now, hey, we're making new highs every day. So clearly the market took it in stride. You've had a few days to think about it, Jeff. Anything at all from what the Fed said that surprised you or just kind of to me seemed like what they've been telegraphing for about two months? What'd you think? You know, I'm not surprised about what the Fed told us, right? I mean, in tapering most people thought that that would start now and then it would continue through, you know, roughly June. Um, and then after that, we'll have liftoff and the Fed will start to raise rates. What surprised me a little bit is that the market actually has been a little bit more aggressive in pricing in the start of the rate hikes, right? Um, we, we think it's going to be more like, you know, December, January, a little over a year from now. Market saying, no, we might get rate hikes mid-summer. Uh, next year, that seems too aggressive to us. So, and you know, the big reason why is because a lot of this inflation is supply side, right? And once these supply chain disruptions uh, are resolved and the labor force kind of reaches its equilibrium, people start taking all these open jobs, uh, we'll see less pressure on inflation, right? The, the demand side, you know, it's strong, but in a year, it might not be quite as strong. Uh, we think the pressures on inflation will alleviate and the Fed will be able to wait until late next year to start rate hikes. Yeah. So I'm just looking at some of the notes that I wrote uh, when it happened. You know, they, they did ask uh, 
Chairman Powell during the Q&A session. They said, what do you think about rate hikes next year? He's, he pretty much said no comment. So he did a good job, I guess, uh, skirting away from that. Overall economy is improving, seeing some big improvements in the employment picture. We are going to talk about the jobs number here, literally of uh, the next uh, conversation that we have. But the truth of the headline was that really there were no major hawkish surprises, a little bit under the surface. But honestly, it just really seemed like one of the more telegraphed Fed meetings we've seen in a while. Now, one could say, well, why would that not be sell the news. If it's all priced in, why does it not sell the news? Well, I think it's simple as we're in a bull market here and the market wants to keep going higher because those earnings you just talked about. But yeah, nothing else really stands out. We, we we like to talk about the Fed. You know, the other thing maybe about the Fed, Jeff, so the decision came and went. Now, by the way, they're tapering. What is tapering for people who are listening don't know? Fed is buying $120 billion worth of bonds every single month. They're going to start buying less. They're going to start buying less by $15 billion and then continue to taper down from there how many bonds they're buying. Um, and they're planning to stop that sometime. I think it's July or August of next year. Now, believe me, that can absolutely change. But that's uh, that's what's been very well telegraphed. I mean, so, so Jeff, let's go this route. Um, Jerome Powell's term, I believe is what we call it, is up in February of next year. Seems like he's the favorite. You know, you got the, I don't know if TMZ's out there doing it, but people are out there uh, taking pictures of who's coming to the White House, who's not coming to the White House. Apparently he was there last week. People assume it was an interview. Brainerd, it was released uh, just the other day, maybe yesterday, was actually interviewed apparently for the job with President Biden. By the way, the president gets to pick who's in charge of the Fed. Um, The sticking point to this, potentially everything's political, is Jerome Powell is a Republican um, and uh, Elizabeth Warren called him, I believe it was paraphrasing this, uh, one of the most dangerous men in the world or an extremely dangerous man. So clearly the far left doesn't like him. We know that. Um, what's your take, Jeff? Do you think uh, he's going to get reelected, though? Or, or what's your what's your view here? Yeah, odds favor that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our chief Fed watcher, Lawrence Gillum, our fixed yep. strategist, favors that. Maybe, maybe he's a three to one favorite. Um, you know, the progressives want tougher bank regulation, and they can get that through the regulatory oversight at the Fed, maybe not necessarily the, the head, the president of the Fed. So Leo Brainerd probably ends up being in a supervisory role, yep. uh, chief regulator of the banks, and then we get, we'll maybe get Powell again. I mean, it's not a done deal, but it's it's, it's leaning that direction, I think, based on uh, the tea leaves. I believe that's Quarles currently, right, in charge of a lot of the banks. And he just announced yesterday he's stepping down. But I think everyone expected that. So, again, not really a surprise. But, again, um, you know, uh, sometime fairly soon. I mean, most people don't expect this to be dragged out very long. Um, We might have some announcement on who will be in charge of the Fed uh, quite soon. But, Jeff, again, what probably the Fed's important. We're not minimizing the tailwind of you know, monetary policy. I mean, it's what we've pointed out for a long time now that it's a tailwind and it's it's, it's one reason we're in a bull market. Um, you know, the other is jobs have uh, gotten better, right? I mean, we just created 531,000 jobs, which was a, well, the highest number we've seen since July when we had like a million jobs created. Uh, also big revisions to the previous months. I mean, Jeff, it's kind of one of those, it is what it is. Hey, jobs are coming back. That's got to be a good thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this this isn't as good as it's going to get. I mean, you just said that we we've had million job months. We're going to get, we think, maybe a couple more in the next two months. So, um, you know, this is good progress. The you get kids go back to school and all of that. End of the supplemental unemployment benefits and you know, COVID cases have come down. But you know, there's reason to believe that uh, because of the the timing lag of the report, right? Because this is a mid month survey. 
Yeah. Right. So when you get an October jobs report, it's really not October. It's it's the back half of September and the first half of October. Right. Not all of October. So we're going to get kind of a clean month after the improvement in COVID trends. Right. And all of those other positive factors impacting the labor market add higher wages to the fact that people are getting more comfortable with COVID and people are more able to work and all of that, or they have more incentive to work. Uh, looks like we could do much better than this in the next couple of months. So very, uh, it's encouraging that we beat the estimates. Certainly this is a good number. The positive revisions were really good to see, uh, but it's going to get a lot better. Oh, great, great points. I mean, these are things we've talked about every single week that we do think, I mean, the economy, there's, there's flaws, there's flaws of everything, right? But the economy is clearly coming back. You mentioned uh, COVID shots. So today is Tuesday, this afternoon, I'm driving down to Rock Hill, South Carolina. Rock Hill is famous for many things, but it's a small town, but they've got like three or four NFL players, a guy by the name of Jadavion Clowney's from Rock Hill. Anyway, so I'm going down there, going to get my booster shot, and Sebastian, my middle kid, is going to get his first um, COVID shot because he's in that 5 to 11 age group where you're not allowed to, well, as of as of two weeks ago, not allowed to get a uh, get your initial vaccine. So excited about that. Now, Jeff, I did get the Moderna one the first time. Apparently, I'm getting the Pfizer one now. I did my research. Apparently, uh, you're allowed to do it, and I look at it like I'm diversifying on my booster shot. We'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. I guess you get half as much as before. So which, which one did you get? If you want to, if you, you want to point it out, which one did you get in the, in the beginning? Yeah, I, I got the Pfizer shot. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't really believe I had much of a choice. It was tough to get appointments. Right. Once I did that, that was what was available. Not really an active choice. Mm -hmm. Although it does seem like the back then, at least the Pfizer shot was more tolerated mm -hmm. by people, you know, just in terms of how you felt after. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I the first one with the Moderna one, I didn't feel that great. Second one, though, I, I don't know, I was fine, I thought. But anyway, so anyway, so move. But that's all part of you know getting out there and getting getting things out there and getting kids vaccinated. So moving forward. But Jeff, let's talk about something that kind of I think really surprised a lot of people. Uh, maybe maybe not. We're going to explain why, but it did. Um, the surprise move in yields. And again, I've got the famous, very confused, wonderful actor Marky Mark. I believe it's from. Um, actually, I forget what movie it is now, actually. It doesn't matter. Every movie Marky Mark's in, he makes a wonderful, confused face, and I've got that up. Here's what we're going with, Jeff. The jobs number, which you just talked about on Friday, came in really strong. Yields dropped straight down. The time we're doing this on Tuesday, the 10-year yield continues to drop. I think we're close to 140, approximately. Um, what in the world's up with yields? Because a lot of people are scratching their head all over financial media saying, if things are so great, why are yields lower? What, what's your take uh, with what's going on here? Yeah, the, this is so hard to understand, but mm -hmm. um, I think well, you just have look to, at Marky Mark's face. That'll tell you that is a confused man right there. Right. I mean, I, you're asking an equity strategist about yeah. fixed income. I, I've been confused about yields many times in the last, let's say, 13 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but you know, with that uh, caveat, I think international is where you look here, right? The um, a lot of folks thought that the Bank of England was going to hike, and they didn't. So we got kind of a dovish story there. Um, once uh, the market started to worry less about rate hikes outside the US, uh, global yields came down. So that is certainly part of it. The, the, the other narrative some people um, are citing is that um, once you start hiking rates, you slow growth long-term. Right. right. And so now that, I mean, we could be in theory, right? Nine months away from a rate hike in the US. You know, our view is we're 13 months at least away. But, um, you know, that's in the time horizon that investors consider 
when they make investment choices. And so, you know, it's possible that the market's pricing in a little bit of a slower growth trajectory, let's say year two to 10 and taking that the 10 year yield down. No, exactly. And this is one of those things, talk to 10 people, you probably get 10 answers again. Some of the headlines that I saw again, the Fed, Bank of England, and then Australia as well, all were a little bit less hawkish with what they had to say. That potentially moved yields lower. But Art Cashin, who are a huge fan of Art, read his daily note. He's forgotten more about the stock market than I will ever know. He pointed out that on Friday, the Pfizer news came out. Pfizer has the um, the oral pill that you could take that apparently is just, I mean, what Gottlieb said is Gottlieb said this is like a COVID ender almost, right? This oral pill can really, really move things forward. And Art said, hey, it's all deflationary, right? All these worries about inflation. This is a potential deflationary act that just happened with the Pfizer news, which is a good thing, and maybe not as much inflation is coming. Um, and then that could be one of the reasons why yields have gone lower. But again, it's one of those things that are a little surprising, but it's taking place. Um, we still see strength in those industrial metals, some other um you know, uh, let's see your high beta versus low beta, consumer discretionary versus consumer staples. We've seen small caps break out. These are all pro-cyclical things. So the bond markets may be saying a little bit different, but like you said, Jeff, I think sometimes the bond market just, ah, oh, those bond guys, you know, sometimes they just like to get a little squirrely and maybe that's simply what we're seeing. So Jeff, earnings, you kind of hinted at some of this. Let's do an earnings season wrap up. I think like what, 460 or some odd companies have reported um, we've given this update the last couple of weeks, but it's still really, really important. How good was third quarter earnings season? Yeah, r- really good. Um, I mean, even if you're you're measuring earnings season based on what you know what we used as a measuring stick before the pandemic, this is a good result, right? Beating expectations by about 11, 12 percentage points. So again, we're looking for high 20s based on consensus coming into earnings season and now, Looks like we're going to get um, 40% when all the numbers are in. So that's a great result. But even more impressive than that, remember, estimates typically come down during earnings season, right? Company, you know, Companies basically lower the bar. Uh, analysts take the numbers down. Companies clear that bar, but then they lower the bar for the next quarter. That's kind of the routine. Typically, we're talking about a few percentage points uh, reduction in estimates during earnings season. This quarter, which is a very, very tough quarter, we all know about the supply chain problems, labor shortages, um, you know, COVID challenges, right? All of that um, cost push inflation. You're, despite all those challenges, estimates actually rose during earnings season, up one percent. That is a really strong result, and frankly, a little bit better than I thought we would we would do. So, um, you, you know, really nice upside, and then got to be encouraged by the uh, resilience of estimates looking forward. And, and um, yeah, we thought we would, you, you said it earlier, right? We <laughs> thought maybe we'd get like 170, 180 in earnings when, when the year began, that was a reasonable upside scenario. And and, and now we're going to you know probably do north of 205. Yeah. Well, the, who knows? Maybe a, maybe a Hail Mary chance of 210, right? We'll see what the final numbers are. But the truth is, again, earnings are justifying so much of this, but this isn't new. I mean, I've got the numbers here in the first quarter. Earnings are up 52% year over year. At the start of earnings season, expect to be up 24%. The second quarter, this was the big one, second quarter up over 90% year over year. At the start, we expect to be up 63%. This third quarter, when we all started, we were talking maybe 27, 28%. And now, like you said, high 30s, maybe a chance to crack 40. So truly amazing, but again, justifying in our view, why stocks can, uh, feels like every day, but continue to flirt with new highs and um, 
you know, justifying why we've had such a huge, huge rally. So, Jeff, I will say it's a, it's a it's fun, but it's also a relief. In the Dietrich household, I have three kids: Gus, Sebastian, and Susanna. Gus's birthday is September nineteenth. Actually, talk like a pirate day, which is pretty cool for a kid. Uh, Sebastian's birthday is October twenty first, and then Susanna's birthday was this past Sunday. We call it birthday season. It is just like you know, a uh, body shot after body shot. Maybe not quite a Mike Tyson fight, but still a lot of body shots there. And the birthdays are fun. But I'm just going to say I'm glad birthday season is over because it really is a lot. Um, and you know, it's fun too. Don't want to minimize it because people say, well, you're going to miss it someday, and that's probably true. But now that birthday season's over, with three consecutive birthdays and a minute to breathe before the holiday season and Thanksgiving. I'm happy. How are the birthdays spaced out with uh with your with your two uh, daughters? Yeah, we're we're right around where uh where yours are. We've got a September and an October. Okay. So we, wow. we just finished. Well, we're not totally done with birthday season because uh, my wife Debbie's birthday is uh, November twentieth. So uh, maybe we'll bring out another cake for that. November twentieth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've made the comment many times that October 28th, which is my birthday, was historically like the most bullish day of the year if you look at the averages. I said that until last year when it was down like 3%, totally jinxed it, but it's still one of the strongest days. I am pretty darn sure, I don't have it in front of me, but I did this math, which day has had the most new highs in the history of the stock market? November 20th has had 12 all-time highs on the S&P, no day, no day in the history of the stock market has had more new all-time highs than November 20th. Maybe this year will be, assuming the 20th is a, I have no idea what day of the week it is, assuming it's a weekday, could be lucky number 13. So let her know that uh, she's um, she's got a great day because there's been more new highs ever than ever uh, on her day. So maybe she should be the equity strategist. I don't know. Maybe you guys should switch it up. What do you think? Man, might be better for stocks. <laughs> there you go. Buy more bullish. There you go. Well, speaking <laughs> of stocks, Jeff, let's finish things up with again one of the more popular questions. I was just down um, with with our friends at Allen and Company down in Charleston last week, and this question came up: What do you think about Europe? I hear this question a lot, Jeff. I know you do as well. Europe is looking better. We've been overweight United States relative to everywhere else in the world. Um, Jeff, talk to me about Europe. I mean, it's looking better is kind of what we're saying. What are you seeing here, and why um, maybe? someone should start to dip their toe in in some developed international, specifically Europe. It reminds me of another Ryanism. Um, I think international stocks are uh, maybe the only thing that when they go on sale, everybody runs out of the store. Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 Um, Stocks in Europe um, have historically been discounted by about 10%, 10 to 15% relative to the U S on a price to earnings ratio basis. And now it's like 27 percent. I think that is huge. It's the biggest discount I have in, in the data set I have that goes back to the late 80s. So European stocks are cheap. Actually, it's the same story for Japan. Right. So people think, well, then we should go there. Well, valuations aren't good short-term timing tools. So maybe, you know, over the next 10 years, five to 10 years, you know, you'll see better returns for international markets. But over the next six to 12 months, valuations don't tell you anything really. So um, we're not buyers of international on valuations. We also like technical analysis as part of our process. And if, you know, it's just not working, right? Non-US stocks are not working. There you go. There's the chart. Part of this is the strong dollar, which clips international returns. Uh, another part of it is, you know, when US growth stocks are leading, uh, that makes it really hard for international to keep up because they don't have all the tech and the fang or whatever we're calling fang now that it's got 
metaverse in it, um, you know, all that stuff in it. Uh, Europe can't really compete in a growth-led environment. And we're still in a growth-led environment, even now, even though the reopening is happening and we're seeing some bounces in some of the, you know, more uh, COVID-sensitive stocks. So it's still a very tough environment for, um, for international technicals do not look good. Now, what looks good is what we saw in the prior chart. Um, GDP growth in Europe um, and the UK could actually be better than the US next year. So, you know, there's at least the makings of a story here. It's just we want to wait for the market to show us some sign that uh, conditions are, um, investing conditions are improving over there. And global asset allocators are starting to move in because it's just been, you know, all US all, all the time. So we still favor US, but um, we're watching this closely because, you know, the um, economic growth expectations have been a little bit more resilient in, in Europe, even though they still have some COVID flare-ups, Germany in particular. Um, you know, the economic picture there looks a little bit better on a relative basis right now than the US. Hey, you mentioned going to Europe and going to Japan for my daughter's birthday. We went to the Japanese steakhouse, which was excellent, by the way. But anyway, enough about that. Um, so potentially a little bit more earnings growth. What about, I'm sorry, uh, GDP growth. What about earnings next year? What are, what's the earnings picture looking like for Europe specifically next year, Jeff, compared to the yeah, U.S., it, I guess, really? You know what? Earnings, it doesn't really stand out in Europe. They'll probably see a little bit more earnings growth this year than the U.S., but we're talking about you know forty five to fifty percent really right. strong in both, uh, and then next year uh, probably going to see U.S. do a little bit better. You know we're mid to high single digit earnings growth is generally our expectation right now, although we haven't published an estimate, a formal estimate just yet. And the outlook outlook is coming soon. Um, so you know earnings don't really stand out. Um, obviously the technicals don't really stand out, and we're not going to tell use valuations right now as a reason to buy. So, you know, the, the story is really not compelling enough right now. We're neutral international and, and probably stay there here for a bit until the market shows some signs of doing a little bit better relative to the U.S. Yeah, so I'll, I will focus a little bit on that technical idea that you're talking about. If you just simply look at the United States versus the rest of the world, XUS, it continues to go from the upper left on your screen to the lower right. That means continued underperformance. We've seen that out of Europe. I mean, just earlier this week, though, we did see France finally breaking out above its early 2000s peaks. So it took about two decades to get there. Um, Spain, Germany, lots of other countries in Europe have have been relatively strong performers as well. It's just relative to the U.S., they're still not quite doing as well. So it's kind of like, um, you know, catching a falling knife, right? It looks really cool when you can do it. Brag about it when you do it. But again, it's really dangerous. You can get cut. And a lot of people for many, many years have talked about developed international and they've been cut. But Jeff, let's go a little bit different route here. When I first started the LPL five and a half years ago, for the most part, those five years or so, we've said we liked emerging markets more than developed international, specifically Europe and Japan. Um, it's, it feels like we've kind of changed our tune a little bit there, right? Tell me a little bit about emerging markets. If you had to rank US one, that's fine. Who's your bridesmaid? Who's getting the silver medal? Oh, yeah. Developed international getting the silver medal for sure. Uh, mainly Europe and Japan. So, um, you know, the debt crisis in China with the property developers, the whole Evergrande situation, that worries us. And this regulatory crackdown over there uh, still still worries us. And then, you know, again, when you use technical analysis, EMs is not not really working. So um, right now, give the edge to uh, developed international markets over emerging. 
And I, I forget exactly when it was. Several months ago, Scott Brown joined the podcast, um, and we went through some of his favorite charts. He's our technician on the team. And one of the charts he shared was about China and how weak China was looking under the surface and how, you know, the rest of the world was pretty strong early in the year. He's like, hey, something's going on here. Now, as a technician, you don't always really kind of wonder why. You just want to know that it's happening. And Scott has been more cautious, we'll say, if not outright bearish, China for a long time. And looking back, that was an incredible call because, again, all the Chinese real estate issues and all the different things that happened in the headlines. But the cracks were showing before that all started several months ago. And again, China is a large part, clearly a big, big part of emerging markets. And that's partially um, why emerging markets have struggled. And again, we like the U.S. more than anywhere else in the world, but developed uh, international, put that number two, and then emerging markets, um, probably number three. So Jeff, the final question I have for you is what should investors be watching this week? Feels like earnings season is calming down, the jobs number, the Fed. It's almost like we can catch our breath, but what, there's still got to be some headline risk out there. What, what should we pay attention to this week? Yeah, we, well, we might get good headline risk with the, um, you know, the Build Back Better bill being negotiated in Washington, right? It looks like those tax increases to fund that might not be quite as uh, onerous as, as we had thought. So we'll be right. watching uh, the negotiations in Washington to finalize that bill. Look, by the way, on that note, it looks like the international tax, that's a big piece of how this is going to raise revenue, uh, is probably going to be pushed out to 2023. Um, so, you know, maybe companies don't get hit quite, quite as hard as we thought. Um, that's one. And the other thing to watch this week is the inflation numbers. We got an inline PPI number, the producer inflation number this morning, but you know, it's 8%. <laughs> so it's a really high, uh, number, but there's, there's signs of, of a peak. If you just look at what's happened over the last few months, we might be, again, we've been saying this for a while, this might be as bad as it gets. Uh, and then, um, you know, we get the core inflation number uh, tomorrow and we'll see, uh, you know, that'll be better because it has been running much lower than the producer inflation. Um, but hopefully we get something a little bit lower than expectations. Yeah. Um, GXO's CFO, and they're one of the largest logistic companies in the world. He said they see thawing in supply chain. Lyft and Uber both said that driver supply is definitely starting to get a lot better. Um, 200 factories in Vietnam had been shut down due to COVID. They make a lot of shoes for Nike. That's back online. Uh, a lot of the automakers had positive things to say about the, the, um, the, the supply chain issues that we're seeing. So not out of the woods, but again, some what we've heard from corporate America during this earnings season clearly is being viewed positively for the future. Uh, so with all that, Jeff, we will be back next week for the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. We will take the Tuesday of Thanksgiving week off, though. So I know everyone's going to be very sad. But, um, you know, you just listen to this one again, uh, twice, I guess. And you can just pay attention, visualize that wonderful dog party, if, if, if you so please. But, Jeff, thanks again, as always. Thanks to Neil, our producer, guys. Thank you for listening to this podcast week after week. And, again, we'll be back next week uh, to take a look at whatever's going on out there. Whatever's happening, we'll talk about it. We'll see everybody then. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarded the corresponding market index. All index 
losses are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, Please note, LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.